You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. We will halve inflation, grow the economy, reduce debt. Nothing's changed. The circus moves on, rinse and repeat. We have an opportunity to become Europe's Silicon Valley. We can perhaps be a broker of some sort with Ukraine. We expect inflation to come off quite rapidly in the rest of this year. Obviously, we want to see that happen. What we now need is a period of stable, quiet, serious government. You're listening to Bloomberg UK Politics. I'm Ewan Potts. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Welcome to the programme. Ewan, I feel like this is one of those days where you and I have both of our hats on at the same time as both uh, financial journalists and political journalists covering this as well, because the big story in the political world today is also a financial one. And this is that the chief executive of NatWest, Alison Rose, is stepping down as from her position at the bank after a row over the closure of Nigel Farage's accounts. Of course, we spoke to Nigel Farage only last week uh, on the Bloomberg UK Politics podcast as well about this controversy, about the closure of his accounts at Coots, which is part uh, of NatWest as well. And he had gone and gotten uh, this document from the bank, which detailed detailed uh, some of the reasons uh, or some of their their commentary around uh, his account at the bank. This is something that has come to a head. There was political pressure exerted on the, the CEO and now Alison Rose has resigned. She has, uh, part of the controversy is that uh, she spoke to a BBC journalist about this and made some allusions to uh, Nigel Farage's relationship with the bank. She has described this as a serious error of judgment um, and that has now led to her resignation and her departure from the organisation. Yeah, it was quite uh, a dramatic departure. This has, of course, been a rumbling controversy for uh, a number of days. Nigel Farage really uh, furious about this, and he's not really a man you want to cross. Uh, more detail has been uh, coming out over the previous few days, but the board had just said that uh, they had uh, full confidence in their chair, Alison Rose. And then we got the statement actually at one thirty in the morning today saying that uh, she was actually... Uh, going. Nigel Farage uh, is is not happy, at least he's pleased that she's gone, but she says that he says that more people uh, need to go. Uh, Farage tweeting that, uh, I hope this serves as a warning to the banking industry. We need both cultural and legal changes to a system that has unfairly shut down uh, many thousands of innocent people. So that's uh, from Nigel Farage after this uh, quite surprising resignation of uh, one of these key figures in the banking industry. Yeah, let's bring in our finance editor, Tom Metcalf, for more on this. Um, Tom, given the pressure on Alison Rose, did she have to resign in this situation? Yeah, it was, it was really fascinating to watch it unfold. You know, uh, at literally 5.40pm yesterday, it looked like she was sort of seeing out the worst of it. Her board had backed her. Um, but, you know, the reaction to that was probably not what NatWest was expecting, which was you very quickly and clearly got a signal from, you know, both Number 10 and also the Treasury that, you know, 
they were not happy with this decision to sort of keep her on. Um, and instead, you know, over those next few hours, uh, it sort of unfolded from there because, yes, as you say, it was pretty much inevitable. You cannot have a bank CEO that is not supported, um, not only by, you know, the national government, but probably more personally by a, a government that still owns a 39% stake in the bank. Were you surprised when you heard this news uh, 12 hours ago? Yes, I was. I was, I was asleep, actually, um, as it came through <laughs> at 1.38. Um, um, so, yeah, no, I kind of left it uh, at about 11 p.m. thinking, OK, there might be some developments this morning, but probably not overnight, because typically with these things, anything comes through uh, at 7 a.m. So I think this sort of slightly unusual timing probably suggests more than anything just what sort of a scramble this was at NatWest. And, you know, I think like most people, they maybe thought they'd bought themselves a bit of time at 5.40 p.m. Um, and a few hours later, they were realizing, oh, no, we better have this emergency board meeting and effectively do a, a big, big U-turn. Um, what happens next, Tom, for NatWest? Of course, it's a, it's a high street staple in the country as well, as well, as you say, as being one that still has a significant share of public ownership. Yeah, exactly. Well, First up for them is they've actually got their second quarter earnings on Friday, which will obviously be closely watched. And I'll be curious to see, you know, how Alison Dre's replacement, the interim CEO, does there. But I think also, you know, Farage is continuing um, to, you know, sort of push for more changes. He's, he's effectively calling for the NatWest chairman to also leave, the Coop CEO to also leave and saying, you know, this is an issue that he sees across all vendors. So I think this is going to be one of those topics that runs and runs, though, um, so, you know, my sense right now is kind of the big dramatic news has happened, i.e. the NatWest CEO leaving. Is this serious for NatWest? It is a bank which is owned almost 40% by the UK taxpayer still all those years, 15 years after that bailout. Uh, what does it mean for, for, for the bank's kind of financial future? Is it just one person at the top or is, is, it, is it more important than that? Well, I think, you know, that's almost the irony is, is under Alison Rose, you know, the bank's been doing pretty well in recent years. Um, so, you know, I think the results were kind of being looked forward to by the market in some ways. We're hoping to see, you know, these in this rise in rate environment, you know, bad for the wider sort of population, but typically good for lenders that the bank might well do well. So, you know, it's, it's one of those things where you've got politics colliding with business. And I, you know, my sense is the bank itself, um, you know, will continue to do business as usual, as it were. And it is more of a change at the top. Will other banks, Tom, now be worried about finding themselves at the centre of controversies involving politicians? There's a broader debate around you know, the question of, of debanking that's being played out to in Westminster. Yeah, exactly. And I think that debate's going to run and run. We've just heard back from, you know, uh, effectively what was at the meeting today between the Treasury and, and the banks. As you'd expect, they're saying this kind of behaviour is, is not acceptable and really pushing the lenders to put in more policies in place to kind of prevent them from, you know, unilaterally debanking someone without good cause. Um, and then, but yes, it's, it's you know, it's basically, you know, one of those very sort of hot button topics. Farage has, you know, proved adept at kind of making sure it keeps the oxygen and has really started this media frenzy almost around it. Um, and, and I think, you know, what I'm hearing from some in the city is, you know, this is, you know, yes, it's an issue, but, you know, with inflation, with cost of living, there's many more pressing things that, you know, perhaps finance should be focusing on. Tom, without getting into too much detail of the uh, of the numbers, which I know you crunch across the European banking sector, but what sort of shape is is NatWest in as a as a as a bank? Yeah, I mean, it's basically you know it's going into one of these difficult periods where, with very high interest rates, you start to wonder how sort of uh, you know the loan book does. So far, in common with all 
British lenders, they've been saying they're not seeing much sign of distress. So, you know, broadly, I would say, you know, the bank in terms of its day-to-day operations, that retail banking, you know, the commercial banking, which, of course, where Alison Rose sort of cut her teeth, they're all doing well. Um, but, you know, that doesn't exclude the bank from this kind of broader sort of struggles that the banking sector is having in terms of valuations on the market. But, you know, on the operational side, uh, I don't think many analysts are looking at the bank and saying huge changes need to be made. Okay, Tom Metcalf, our finance editor, thanks so much for joining us uh, with those insights on the programme. Let's get to the political side of this story then. Our political editor, Kitty Donaldson's with us now. Kitty, the government exerted its pressure here, clearly. Alison Rose is gone. Is it the end of the story for the government? That's an interesting question. Uh, yes, you're absolutely right. So what happened yesterday evening was that, that early meeting of, of the NatWest board and then she came out and said, um, I apologise, but I'm I'm not going. And in Downing Street, uh, in number 10 and number 11, where the Chancellor sits, they took one look at that and went, no, no, not enough. Absolutely not. And then we was, you know, and then into the evening, they started making it clear that her staying was not a viable option and put, put out pressure and put out statements. People like us saying, actually, it's not, it's not happening. Um, and then, of course, they in the second meeting, they, they clearly took that political pressure and um, and ran with it. And, and we are where we are now. And, and as to whether this is the end of the story, I I think her going um, is, is enough. There's no calls in government for Howard Davies to go. Um, no calls for um, the chairman of uh, Coots to go in government. Of course, Nigel Farage is calling for that, but that's not the same as, as the government calling for it. So I think I think we're I think enough has been done to, to lance this boil. Katie, I don't think it would be unfair to say that Nigel Farage is not exactly a popular figure in the Conservative Party. So, so this was really an issue that MPs f- felt strongly about, isn't it? Conservative MPs. They did, and he's he's not he's not popular. You're right, but he also. His political views overlap um, with quite a lot of people on the right of the Tory party. And it wasn't just Farage that was affected. It was quite a few MPs who've been talking about this for a while, actually, um, who've been you know, debanked, as it's called, and their spouses and even their children have been um, told that they couldn't have bank accounts anymore. So it was, it was wider than Farage. Um, and actually, I think what what's happened here is there's a kind of political class of, 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 of thought of Farage as a bit of a joke for, for a while and and actually what he's shown by this is that he really shouldn't be underestimated. Kitty, the, of course the NatWest story is, is interesting partly because of the, the public ownership as we we're just hearing about from Tom Metcalf there because the government still has such a significant share in the bank as well but but is this indicative of the influence that the government can have over uh, over banks, given, you know, I'm obviously in this case, it's particular because it's public ownership, but is there a broader question of influence here between uh, what happens between number 10 and the city? Yeah, absolutely. And and obviously, number 10 felt, and uh, number 11 felt they could say something because of the direct um, taxpayer investment in, in this bank. Um, and actually, it'd be interesting if anyone else was in a similar position, whether they would they would exert that influence, but but equally for the Tories, it's quite it's quite useful because they get to be on the side of propriety, they get to be on the right side of the argument on this, and it's quite a useful distraction from all the other stuff, you know, the inflation figures and migrant crossings and all the kind of um, stuff that they have to put up with, and that you, you saw that I think a, a while ago when the BBC was tearing itself apart. 
um, over Hugh Edwards, and, and the Tories were very keen to, to point everyone's attention away from the government, the government record. I think it sort of gives them a bit of respite, to be honest. Kitty, um, the, the banks have been told to beware of politically exposed persons, haven't they? So do you think, do you think there's a case to be made that, that, uh, that NatWest and other banks have been treated a little bit unfairly here? This isn't, this isn't all internal stuff, is it? A lot of this has come from regulatory pressure. Yes, yeah, it's, it's an interesting point because I think when the regulation was designed, it was it was basically to stop you know uh, foreign uh, despots, for want of a better word, or, or sort of dodgy people investing in British banks, and and it's and the interpretation has been taken more widely. I think this is Farage's point that you know what he said is perfectly legal. You may not agree with it. But it's perfectly legal, and there's free speech laws in this country. So, how how did how the bank interpreted it? It went beyond its remit. I think I think that's quite an interesting point, and one that will be teased out in the coming days because Farage has now pivoted, and he's talking about the culture at banks. Um, I think that pivot's interesting because it shows you that he's he's although he's calling for um, Davis to go. I'm not sure he really means it, particularly given that that Davis is stepping down anyway. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, too, that, I mean, Alison Rose was also someone who was on the Prime Minister's Business Council. She's been dropped from that now as well. And other government bodies she was advising on, too. She's going to be a figure who'll be missed in Westminster. Yes, uh, I've actually been looking through the number 10 um, photo account this morning. And there's lots of photos of them looking very cosy together, her and Sunak, and in, in the Rose Garden of number 10. Only a couple of weeks ago, she was only announced to the Business Council on the 18th of July. So, you know, that's very, very short time to be in post. And actually, that sort of business council provides quite good cover. Um, if you bring all these people in, you know, cover politically, if you bring these people in and close, and then you can say, you know, we're, we're acting uh, in, a, in a good way for the country and, and, and these people, these you know, top business people agree. And she was very successful in her field, right? And as, as, a, as a woman business leader, she, she excelled. So I think, I don't think there's any pleasure in this from number 10 that she's, she's had to go. Um, but equally, having admitted to doing what she did, she had to go. Kitty, always good to get your insight. Thanks so much for joining us on Bloomberg UK Politics. That's our political editor, Kitty Donaldson. Well, let's stay with reaction from Westminster. And our UK correspondent, Lizzie Burden, has been speaking to the city minister, Andrew Griffith. The important thing is that um, Alison and her board have taken the decision that it's right for her to step down. I agree with that decision. Uh, in a democracy, it's fundamental that people have the right to a bank account, a basic building block of modern life, uh, without worrying about being debanked due to something that they've said or a political view within the law that they have. So I think the important thing here is it's right to, to that the, the chief exec of NatWest has decided to resign. We all need to learn lessons from that uh, across the whole financial sector. I've just come from a meeting with the biggest bosses of banks and the UK's largest building society, they expressed their strong support for our policy uh, of making sure that everybody can have confidence that they won't be denied uh, banking services because of something that they believe in. But was there a direct conversation between the Treasury and the bank last night that Rose had to go? Well, there's always a dialogue between typically Treasury officials uh, and senior people in all of the uh, big major banks. Uh, the Prime Minister, the Chancellor have been clear throughout about the principle at stake here, uh, which is that nobody should have their bank account removed. Uh, 
um, as a result of something that they've said or something that they believe in. But it's an ongoing conversation, but specifically last night, did you make a call to NatWest? Well, I'm not going to comment on individual conversations that may have happened over the last 24 hours or indeed over the last two weeks since this issue emerged. I think anybody who's followed it very closely will understand the government's made its position very clear. Worryingly, the opposition have had nothing to say about freedom of speech uh, and debanking over the last uh, two weeks. I think that's regrettable. Um, but the most important thing, and the, what I was working with the chief execs of biggest banks and building societies today, is how we go forward from here, how we have our financial sector do its brilliant job of giving people uh, good service, fair services, um, but also not telling their customers what to, uh, what to think or what political parties they should be members of. So in response to those calls from UK banking and fintech leaders, can we expect you to introduce any new legislation, regulations to stop a situation like this happening again? Yes, the government has acted, uh, not just making its views clear, but also responding to a consultation we ran earlier this year following talk of uh, the Free Speech Union losing its account with PayPal that Providers must give greater clarity. They must give clear explanations uh, as to why their bank accounts are being removed uh, and also longer notice periods to allow people both to appeal against that, uh, but also potentially to seek alternatives elsewhere. So it shouldn't happen anyway when it relates to freedom of speech. Uh, but in the wider case of how do we restore trust now in the banking system, this having happened uh, those new measures announced by the government last week uh, will go a long way to help that. So to restore trust, Nigel Farage says that more heads at NatWest should roll. Is he right? Should the chairman, Howard Davis, take early retirement? Well, the chairman's already being replaced. Um, that's something you know, Lizzie, that he's been in train for a number of months. I think that process should, should carry on um, and that we should have an orderly transition uh, as NatWest previously laid out. This isn't about any one individual. Ultimately, uh, the chief exec has carried the can as, as they should in an organisation uh, where something uh, so, so has gone so badly wrong. Um, but ultimately, it's about learning these lessons and making sure that this incident of someone being debanked uh, because of their political views can never happen again. So Alison Rose is carrying the can, but is that because she leaked information to the press or is it because she was aware of Nigel Farage being debanked and why? Well, I, I don't want to go into the, in, into the, the, the detail of what was in, in her mind. Um, clearly, this was a very serious matter. In a democracy, it's fundamental that people can have the confidence that they continue their banking relationships regardless of... Uh, what they say or the political views or, or party that they support, uh, which is why it's important uh, that the board acted, that change has happened. Uh, we now need to go forward and make sure that we can learn those lessons and make sure, importantly, that this does not happen again. I mean, the other person who was very much responsible for the day-to-day -day running of Coots was the CEO of Coots itself, uh, Peter Flavel. Should he go too? Yeah, and Lizzie, I'm not going to go through a, a cast list. Um, change has happened. It's for the organisation itself to decide uh, the, the level. Um, the, 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 the whole industry uh, joined me this morning uh, on a call 
where I made very clear the government's position that's been consistent throughout uh, about protecting the importance of freedom of, exp of expression, freedom of thought, freedom to uh, support any lawful political position uh, that you support. I note the opposition is now over two weeks in, still haven't made clear where they stand on that fundamental issue. But the government's clear, the government has acted, uh, and I now want to see the whole sector move forward to respond, to restore trust and make sure this doesn't happen again. Okay, so Nat, uh, Alison Rose was one of the first, well, she was the first woman to run one of the big UK banks. Now none of them are run by women. Does that concern you as city minister? I don't think, I mean, we, we, we want um, the broadest and most diverse representation. You know, that good leadership comes from that. Good boards come from that. Um, it's not about looking at any particular subsector to me. Uh, and nor for, for one question was this anything to do with the sex of the chief executive. It was it was simply the policies that the bank were uh, apparently pursuing in this case. That they'll get to the bottom of that if it's the case that they're removing bank accounts solely due to someone's political views. That was wrong. The government's position remains that that was wrong. We've acted, uh, and I'm now working with the sector to make sure that this doesn't happen again. And given that the Treasury owns a 39% stake of NatWest, will you be taking a more active role in selecting Alison Rose's replacement? No, it's for the board to, to make those decisions. Uh, the government managed this, is, this at arm's length, quite rightly. It's not the board's, it's not the government's role to, uh, to individually uh, pick individual members of the board. Uh, what the government should do, and what I was doing this morning with leaders of the UK, banking sector and the UK's biggest building society was making crystal clear where the government's policy stands, but also talking about some of the changes to regulation that we have made to make sure that this does not happen again. So that was the City Minister Andrew Griffith speaking to Lizzie Burden and Lizzie's with us now. Lizzie, as always, at the centre of every major <laughs> news story. Um, what did you take away from that interview, that conversation with Andrew Griffith? Look, I think Kitty Donaldson summed it up well when she said what the government wants to do is be on the side of free speech and have this as a convenient distraction from all the things that are going wrong, like inflation. So, you know, we, I asked him repeatedly uh, about how much the government weighed on the bank in this situation and you heard it there Andrew Griffith very reticent to talk about the details of those interactions apart from saying that it's an ongoing conversation that always happens between the treasury and banks he didn't want to talk about the diversity question other than to say that diversity is important in general but there is going to be as you pointed out earlier Stephen a huge vacuum left here by Alison Rose she was uh, the only female leader of the major four UK banks. He also really didn't want to look activist in terms of weighing on the board or selecting the replacement for Alison Rose, because that's a narrative that the government does not want to be associated with, particularly when we've had under previous Conservative governments, the activist uh, interventions over, for example, furlough. Many would argue that a precedent has been set there that the government has had to continue. Uh, we've got the highest tax burden in the post-war period. Uh, so it was, I think, fair to say a little bit of an awkward conversation, that one. Yeah, I mean, uh, valiantly as you did, trying to get details out of Andrew Griffith about exactly what sort of pressure and exactly what way the government did exert it. I mean, we heard it earlier from Tom and from Kitty in the programme as well about how closely watched this story was being in Westminster as well. I was interested to hear 
though, and I'm glad you asked the question about representation and banking leadership as well. Um, what did you kind of make of, of Andrew Griffith's response to that question about how that there are now no female CEOs of banks in the city? Well, it's not the government's fault, is it? But at the same time, you know, because there isn't a pipeline of women it now means that they're left without a woman at the top of any of the banks that is surely a consideration a concern for the government and yet they don't want to be seen uh, weighing in on who should be the replacement and they don't want to just say that it's about sex when this has surely got to be about talent and Mm. ethics and morals Uh, you know someone who will not debank people like Nigel Farage over their political views. It's a difficult question for Andrew Griffith to answer but it remains a difficult issue for the city. Yeah, it certainly does and one that we will continue to follow as well. Lizzie Burden for now thank you so much for joining us uh, with the details of that story uh, too and that conversation you had with the city minister Andrew Griffith. This is a story as we've been saying which has been watched by banks uh, all around in the UK as well, particularly this issue of, of debanking and what challenges may be faced around changes to rules as well. Uh, Bloomberg's Anna Edwards earlier uh, was speaking to the CEO of the Lloyds Banking Group, Charlie Nunn, about their latest results, but she did ask him the question about this issue of debanking policies and whether the bank had the right policy around this issue. Let's take a listen. No, we're not revisiting them. We had a really clear policy uh, that meant we didn't look at people's political preferences or their personal beliefs as part of the decision as to whether we either opened an account or closed an account for a customer. So we're confident that that's the right policy. Obviously, we did receive a letter from the Economic Secretary this week, uh, and we ha- we've got a meeting later today where we're going to talk through, are there any, any enhancements we should be putting in place around um, how we, when we close accounts for customers? That was Charlie Nunn, the CEO of the Lloyds Banking Group, speaking to Bloomberg's Anna Edwards uh, earlier as well. Look, this is an issue that is going to clearly rumble on, but, you know, this is one of those stories that really does cross over the worlds of business and government. We've seen the, the government exert its pressure clearly on NatWest, a bank that still is partly in public ownership. And this is a story I think we'll be hearing plenty more about. Yeah, you do wonder if uh, other banks are going to uh, come a cropper here or if there's going to be more to this story to come. Because, of course, it isn't just NatWest, but you know, a number of uh, other politicians have had their accounts closed down. Uh, by banks, because NatWest happens to be publicly owned, it's over 40% owned uh, by the UK government. But uh, this, I think, perhaps goes a little bit further. So I think this is really something uh, we need to watch over the coming weeks. And we'll bring you more as it develops. That's it from us for today, though. If you like the programme, don't forget to subscribe and give it five stars so other people can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. This episode was produced by James Walcott, and our audio engineer was Marifal Hussain. I'm Ewan Potts. And I'm Stephen Carroll. We'll be back with more tomorrow. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg UK Politics. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at CutterEconomicForum.com.